Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. We'll be in Luke chapter 5. Did I turn this on? Yeah. Luke chapter 5. Starting verse 17. One day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things? in your heart which is easier to say your sins are forgiving your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralyzed man I tell you get up take your mat and go home immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been laying on and went home praising God Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. I like this story. I like this story a lot. For different reasons, I enjoy this story. So this man, he sits on this corner, this busy corner, all the time. The same corner. He goes there. And he waits. But it's not like he really goes there. He has to be taken there. And the only day he doesn't go is the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath you're not supposed to work. But what he does, you really can't even consider work. Because he has to be hauled there, sat there, where he shakes a can and begs for pennies all day long. Not only does he not work, but his body doesn't work. It's a paralytic. There's a strange thing that happens to us when we fall ill. Or our circumstances shift and something bad happens in our life. When we're struck by some sort of tragedy. We always revert to this internal dialogue of, what did I do? Or, why me? As if there's some connection to the reason that these chance, random, bad things happen in our life and the things that we do and the way that we live our life. Somehow we take these things and we join them. But I'll tell you what else is, is kind of depressing is that how we will take our own ailments and then we will begin to feel guilty about the fact that we are sick. Mothers and wives, you are really good at this, aren't you? Oh, I hate being sick. Oh, I hate it. 
because then people have to take care of me and what I do is take care of everyone else. Dad, you really don't ever get that. You're like, thank God for the flu. I needed a day off, right? I can, I can say get out of here and, it, and it's not bad, you know? Keep it down, I'm sleeping and it, I, I don't feel bad about that. But we do, we'll take our, our ailments and then we'll stack guilt on top of it. Have you been guilty of this before? Like you feel bad or you have something going on inside of you and then on top of it, your brain will create some reason why you should feel bad for feeling bad. We are complex creatures, are we not? We will shame ourselves. It would be nice if we could just unleash on the world. How can you kick a man when he's down? Why do you kick you when you were down? This is what we do. And imagine if you're a paralytic. Not only do you have to be taken to this place and left there, but then you wait on others to come by and fill your cup so that you can make it by while you wait for others to come and pick you up and take you back to where you belong. You are totally reliant. You want to hear another dark thought straight from the dismal mind of Jared Ellis? Reminds me of a conversation I had with a lady one time whose son was struggling with drugs. He was struggling with drugs and he was struggling with all sorts of other uh, mental illnesses and he was really in bad shape. And so the answer to it all because he didn't want to be a burden to everybody else was I will then just end it all myself. And so he tried and was unsuccessful. And when he woke up, his first words were this. I actually don't know that they were his first words. His response to the whole situation when he woke up was this. I can't even do that right. We are complex creatures. We will shame ourselves for our most horrid thoughts and our inability to carry them out. Imagine this man. The shame, the embarrassment. For too long, I think that goes away. And you just become this unfeeling type of creature that just sits. You don't do a thing. You just sit. So as he sits and he thinks about all of these horrible things, he can't even carry out his darkest thoughts because he can't even move. He looks up the road and he sees his attendants, those who carried him there, left him and now they're coming back but they're coming back in a hurry not only are they coming back in a hurry but they're coming back before they're supposed to the day's not over we're going to miss rush hour on the second half of the day when everybody comes through why are they coming now what is the reason for showing up now only here's what's different typically there was a couple who would pick this guy up just a couple of guys now there's four and they're in a hurry they snatch him up and they explain to him this wonder working rabbi has just showed up at Capernaum and you're gonna go see him Have you ever tried to take somebody to the doctor who doesn't want to go to the doctor have you ever tried to take somebody to the doctor who you can make go to the doctor you go into the doctor kids will throw a hissy fit I'm not going unfortunately I can pick you up <laughs> now you're going and they pick him up you're going to go see this rabbi. He couldn't argue it. What was he going to say? And he could tell that they had their mind set on what they were going to do. I don't know a lot. 
But here's what I know. Anytime you get a group of men, just a few, just a handful of just normal, basic, redneck guys, just guys, a lot of things can happen. They have the ability to create some stuff that maybe you didn't know needed created. Give you a couple of examples. This situation here was when my friend and I, Dakota, went uh, snowboarding. And we weren't good at it. We were just getting off the lift right then. Give me the next one. This situation here, somebody's motorcycle broke and apparently it needed three heads and six hands inside of it. Okay, give me, a give me the next one. I don't know if you can make this one out. That's me on the tube, underneath the guy standing on me on the tube. <laughs> because when guys get together, they have a lot of good ideas. Sometimes it will even create more questions than it will answers. Let me see, uh, let me see the next. Um. <laughs> There's a whole thing about that, but I won't go into it. We'll <laughs> Our, our fourth friend down here at the bottom, very much alive, very much alive. My other friend in the middle with the ball cap, maybe you know him, his name's Chase Rebel. Um, he's the preacher at the church in Colony. He and I and Mark were sitting down around a campfire down on the backside of his property, and we heard a noise in the grass, and Chase jumped up and sprinted into the darkness. Into the darkness. No flashlight, no torch, no nothing. When he emerged, this is what he had in his hand. Hey, look what I caught. To which um, we wanted a selfie. You can see this guy on this end, Mark McCoy, was l less interested in having, being in the picture. He was kind of like, it's going to bite me and I'll get malaria. Like, <laughs> it was pretty, give me the next one. This situation here um, is, a, is a 4th of July situation. And we built a ramp. If you can get past the uh, outfits, <laughs> we, built a, uh, we built a slide right here. This is what happens when guys get together. Give me the next one. This looks like a bad idea hatching right now, doesn't it? No race track within miles, and this is going to happen in a yard. This is, what, this is what's that's going on here. Uh, give me the next one. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Uh, let me give you a quote from this first picture. A quote from this first picture was this. That ramp's not nearly long enough or high enough. It, it was long enough and high enough. So, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. And this one here, you can't, you can't really make it out very well. This is a group of my friends who got together and came to my house and built a bridge because my driveway was this low water concrete bridge that would flood and we would get landlocked, stuck on this island uh, at my house and not be able to leave. And these guys showed up with equipment and built this bridge for me and it is absolutely incredible. In fact, a ton of people have came to us and said, 
oh, we love that house where you guys are. But you know what? We looked at the driveway and we were like, blank, no, we're not getting involved in that situation because it's so scary when it rains. And it was. And it was. But my friends came and they built a bridge. When these four guys show up hauling the fifth man, they try kindness. They try sympathy. Excuse us, we just need to get our friend into, into see Jesus. We had an 11 o'clock appointment. Can we get him in? And everybody's saying, no, no, wait your turn. No, wait your turn. And they're stuck outside. But when dudes get together, they make stuff happen. Somehow, two of them, four of them, I'm not sure how, shimmy up on top of the roof. Once on top of the roof, one of them says, so what are we going to do now? Guy says, if we had a pulley system, he's like, we don't have a pulley system, we just got us. Huh. Um, if we could take the roof off, don't be an idiot. You know you can't take the roof. We could take part of the roof off. It would have to be big enough to lower down a man in a prone position on a mat, but we could probably do this. It's just like some stucco, some thatch, little dried mud, some reeds. We could, it's a good idea. Let's do it. So Jesus is preaching away. He's telling his stories. He's giving his sermon. And all of a sudden, like dust particles <laughs> begin to fall. So there's a hole that breaks open. Light pierces through. This room full of people, all of a sudden it's like, what is going on? The sermon is completely interrupted and hijacked. But these men will not be interrupted. To get the hole wide enough, and the four of them lower this man down through the roof. The people begin to move out of the way, and they make room for this guy who's just going to show up. Lower him right down center stage, right in front of Jesus. And then if you can imagine this, everybody's looking up. Jesus turns and looks up at the hole, and these four heads are looking over the top. Just peeking in on top of Jesus. And Jesus looks up, and he notices them. I can't help but think that he gave them a grin, like, well done. Well done. That's pretty good. Because what it says is that Jesus looked up, and he noticed, or he saw, their faith. He saw their faith. The man's laying there in front of Jesus. I can't help but think that he's guilt-ridden. That time period, like we've talked about before, if you were sick, everybody assumed that that had something to do with your spiritual condition. So everybody stamped him as, well, he must be really, really bad because his whole use of his body has been taken away. Really bad. And that's the social stigma, and he's got to wear it. Jesus looks at him, and he says the strangest thing to him. Your sins are forgiven. It's an interesting phrase. What it means is, I release you from your sins. Or I dismiss your sins from you. The whole room is shocked by this. Now, the four guys in the hole upstairs, they're not very happy because in their mind, they're thinking, we hauled this guy four miles. 
The four of us. Got him all the way here for this? That ain't why we brought him here. We brought him here and we told him the whole way, this is what Jesus does is he heals people and then Jesus doesn't heal people. It's not why we came here. It's not why we came here, is it? But he's not the only one. Pharisees and teachers of the law are there. Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They look at him and in their mind they think this. You can't do that. That's a violation. That's a violation. If you are a rabbi and you tell somebody, I just want you to know, I forgive your sins. Only God can forgive sins. So if you are going to try to forgive sins, then that means that you assume in some way you have the very manifestation of the presence of God or the nature of God in your being. So you didn't think that you are God and now you are going to... That's blasphemy because you can't do that. That's way, way illegal. You're not supposed to run in church, but you can't pretend you're God ever. Ever, ever. That's the rule. It's funny though that Jesus doesn't argue that. Instead, Jesus interacts with them, their thoughts, as if they had said them. Can you imagine? Why in the world does Jesus think? And Jesus turns around and looks at him. Why are you thinking that? I wasn't fit. They just freeze. <laughs> Jesus says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? That's an interesting question. You tell me, which is easier? Well, which is easier to say? Watch, I can say it. Your sins are forgiven. It's easy to say. What's crazy about it is that you don't really know if it's true if it happened or not. But if I were to say, get up and walk, and the guy didn't get up and walk, that would prove me a fraud. So which is easier? It's interesting. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they don't even respond. Silent. So then Jesus takes it a step further. So that you can know that I am and have the authority to forgive sins and he pauses do you have the scripture but I want you to know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins so he said to the paralyzed man so that you know what I'm saying is true you stand up and go it says immediately strength is restored the man stands up he takes his mat and he walks home. I think it's so cool that Jesus tells him to take his mat. I think that is so, so cool. Because I can tell you this. After my Achilles heel was healed, I took my crutches and my knee scooter and my walking boot and I got rid of them. And I thoroughly enjoyed the process. I love walking by them. I don't need you losers anymore. Love it. Take my mat and go home. Take my boot and my crutches and my scooter and go home. I will carry them home. Because there's this proud thing about I'm over it. I'm better now. I was talking to Mike McEwen the other day. He had had some, some uh, ankle stuff done here not long ago. And we were talking about we were in a store. And I heard somebody walking in one of those walking boots. And it's got a very distinct sound. It's got a Velcro crickly sound, like, so it's just like, 
all the time. And I'm walking somewhere, and I heard that noise and immediately got sick to my stomach. Like, like oh, oh, where I don't know where that is. Dear Lord, whatever's going on, like that sounds horrible. And Jesus tells him, go ahead and take that mat, and you can go home. Just drag that trashy mat on home with you. It says that the people there were in awe, filled with awe. And they turned and they looked at one another and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Remarkable things. There's four responses that we have to Jesus. Four. The first one is the friends. Do you want to know how you're doing spiritually? Do you want to know how you're ranking? How are you and God doing? What's your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? How's it operating? Is it healthy? There's a barometer for that. Is your faith visible? You can say, I believe this or I believe that. But is your faith visible? By definition, Jesus' definition in this story is this. Does it express itself with action? Does your compassion come through with action? Here's what's interesting to me, is it never, ever, not one time mentions the word friends in this story. Maybe that didn't shock you, it shocked me. I just assumed those four guys were his friends. Yet the scripture never says his four friends. It just says four men. Some translations, if you... If you look in yours, it may say that Jesus looked at the man and said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. But it doesn't say that either. Three of the four gospel writers record this story. None of them use the word friend. Yet when you hear the story, you assume to yourself, these guys would have to be friends. Because human emotion and the evidence of a relationship is always inferred in situations like this. If you have somebody who shows up at your house and says, I want to do this or I need to do this for you, or I want to take care of this thing for you, you would have to assume this person is your friend. It's pretty evident by their actions that they are your friend. Yet the scripture never tells us friend. We always just read that into it. Is your faith visible? You know what else I like about this is it doesn't say friend before. You know why I think that is? Because in my world, maybe some of you, I choose how I'm going to treat somebody and what I'm going to get involved with based on how it makes me feel. You see a commercial on television. It's advertising, an opportunity for you to give money to take care of kids who are starving in a third world country. And there's a reason that it shows these just terrible, terrible malnutrition kids just beat down and, and, and frail. There's a reason it shows you that because it needs to trigger an emotion. What's interesting is that this passage doesn't give us anything about emotion. All it gives us is action. We have cats at our house, in our barn, outside. And we collect as many as we can collect because we get rid of them just as fast. Not on purpose. 
But we have this one, and it must be special. My youngest will sit on the porch for, and I mean this, literally hours petting this cat. His name is Caesar, if you're wondering. She loves Caesar. I could take him or leave him. But one day, I got up early and I went to the gym and I left. And when I came back, I didn't see Caesar come out of the barn. History is this. Cats climb up into the spare tire underneath my truck. We get going down the highway and it's not until then we reach about 70 that they decide they want to jump out. We get rid of a lot of cats on accident. And I couldn't find Caesar. And I did not want to have that conversation. So I just left the gym and I was already hot tired. So I went back outside and I went and I walked the road. I walked about a mile, two miles, both sides of the road. And I thought, maybe I'll find Caesar and he's okay or not okay. I didn't see him. So I went home and I got on my bike and I rode my bicycle all the way back to the gym. Out on the highway, checking the ditch for Caesar, a cat that I could take or leave. All the way there, no Caesar. Came all the way back, still no Caesar. And I was praying. I was like, Lord, look, I don't ask for dumb stuff like this very often. But please let Caesar be okay. I'm ashamed of myself for praying this. Lord, I don't often offer up to you sacrifices for felines, but if there's a thing you need or want, you can have it. You're not a real man. And I pull back into the driveway, just desperately regretting this conversation I'm going to have to have about the disappearance of Caesar, the kitten. And just as I pull in, Caesar bounces out of the barn and looks at me like, what are you doing with all the workouts this morning, fella? I have never in my entire life been so happy to see a cat, ever. I was so, so happy. Every morning when I come back from the gym, I always look for Caesar, and I'm so happy when I see Caesar. You know, if I'm sitting on the porch and Caesar comes up, I'll pick Caesar up. I won't pick up the other one. I don't care about him. I care about Caesar, though. I'm invested with Caesar. Caesar and I have got miles together, you know? Caesar has forced me to have to do some things that I wouldn't typically do. And that's what happens when you invest. Is that the emotion comes after the action. Do you want to love something? Okay. Then act like you love it. Yeah, but my husband's an idiot. I know. You should probably act like you love him. And then you'll love him. Yeah, but I think I'm over him. Yeah, I can see why. But I think if you probably will act like you love him and take actions that say that you love him, you will eventually love him. Because the emotions will follow 
the action. And these four men proved their action and proved their faith with the way that they lived. There's a second response. And that's the paralytic. A sinner turned saint. Jesus is some kind of mind reader, some kind of heart reader. And when the man fell in front of him, Jesus took the first normal action that you should take. Inside of an emergency room, this is what happens. When you get wheeled in, we're going to take care of the number one thing first, and then we will just go down from there. But we have to prioritize the problems. If there's massive amounts of bleeding, we have to stop the bleeding. But in the middle of bleeding, if you look at the, the, uh, the doctor and you say, I've kind of got a cold too. Could you check on that? I've got the sniffles. They're going to look at you and say, as soon as we stop the bleeding, idiot, you know, then we'll tend to your, what did you, your cold? Or your okay, let's take care of first things first. It's the same way when you get into the presence of Jesus. See, somewhat like this man, we can have the ability to have a paralysis of the spirit ourselves. Things that bind us up, guilt that holds us down, behaviors that trap us and keep us in destructive cycles, regrets and pain, stuff that just completely immobilizes us. And we can't take any steps towards getting better because we are just sick from the inside. And it's a paralysis. And I can promise you this. If you get in the presence of the Lord, he will take care of first things first. And you might think to yourself, my biggest problem is this. And then you get in the presence of God and he goes, oh, no, no, no. That's by far not your biggest problem. There's far greater problems. Let's address this sin issue first. Let's address your wandering heart first. Let's address the brokenness and the pain first. Let's address the loneliness first. Then we'll move on to the other things. Second response to where we get before him and we realize that's the first thing that I need to do. I need to repent. I need to get my life together. I need to put it all at the feet of God. Third response is where the teachers are turned into learners. You see, theology drives ministry. What you believe about God should affect the way you carry out your life. And if your theology is whole and it's good, it will direct a ministry path that is productive. But if the ministry path is not productive, you may have to go back and check to see if your theology is correct. Because what you believe about God will change the way you live your life. For these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they, had, they thought they had the theology just on point. But they had missed it. They had completely missed it. You see, any time your religion puts you in a place of bookkeeping and sin counting with your pen and, and, and legal pad, and it's not your life but somebody else's, oh, now that's a problem. Oh, now that guy needs to get his life together. Oh, now that lady, she is really in trouble. And all of a sudden, you are counting the problems for someone else instead of worrying about what's going on in your own life. Ooh. The teacher may become the student again. Our responsibility is to put ourselves in a 
discipleship role with Jesus. Not one to where we hop up beside him and be like, yeah, I'm doing good, aren't I, Jesus? I'm getting him too, huh? I'm doing good, huh, Jesus? You want me to go tell him? I'll go tell him. Tell him. No, that's not our role. Our role is to take care of the people inside of our circle. You have people who naturally ebb and flow through your life. Are you taking care of them? If you are, I can promise you, some things will go right in your life. If you don't, I can promise you, some things will not go right in your life. That is our role and responsibility. But when we go to sin counting, picking something else, going and telling somebody else, oh, by the way, I see a, see a little speck of sawdust in your eye over there. Never mind the log in mine. But I see something in yours. We're in trouble. Fourth one is this. When the curious become convinced. And it said that all the people, when they saw what had happened, they turned and they looked at each other and they were filled with awe. The word is fear, phobia. They were filled with fear. We say awe like, oh, that was special. Did you see Jesus heal that guy? That was not the feeling. The feeling was this. What the crap was that? Like, I am not okay with whatever just, that's weird. That was weird. And then it says they turned and they looked at each other and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. The word is paradoxical. It is a, check this out, you'll love it, a hopex legomenon. Right? Of course it is. This is called a hopex legomenon. It's only used one time in the Bible. This word, paradoxical. For we have seen paradox, this is the things we say in the shop all the time, isn't it? Yeah. We have seen paradoxical things today, haven't we? No one says that, ever. We have seen paradoxical things today. Unless you see something paradoxical and you go, that was freaking weird. Like, what was that? I don't know. What that, was. that was weird. It's interesting because they all sit back and look at this situation, curious, following Jesus around because they're curious. But when they leave, they go... I'm convinced there's something else there. Here's the fourth response. Maybe even the, a group of you. If you are not in a church, you don't go to a church regularly, you don't attend, haven't attended, you've never had any sort of religious affiliation or you know, maybe your mother was half Catholic and your dad was whatever, you know, and you were, you've just never been attached to a church but you're here. What we would call you is this, a friend of the faith. Your curiosity has got you here. Something got you here. You're a friend of the faith. We used to say this all the time. It's probably time we dust it off and say it some more. But if you've shown up and you have been at that place of still apprehension of, I don't really know that I want to get connected to God, but I'm, I want to peek in the windows of God's house a little bit and kind of see it maybe a little better and get a better idea. If that's you, you're a friend of the faith. Here's what we'd say to you. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. You're curious? Just keep coming. Look, I don't want to rush you into anything. Neither does anybody else here. You just want to peek in the windows? Peek in the windows. We don't mind. Neither does the Lord. 
If you find yourself stuck in some sort of cycle of sin and you just think to yourself, I just can't keep going to church and living the way I'm living, let me tell you this. Keep coming. Just keep coming. Yeah, but shouldn't I get myself cleaned up? Yeah, you probably, you probably won't be able to do that. I mean, has it worked for you so far? No? No, you're not going to clean yourself up. Keep coming. You find yourself in a place to where you're lonely, you're beat down, you're broken down, but you're not ready to make that move towards Christ. That's okay. But I can tell you what you need. You need a few friends. You need a few people who will pick you up haul you in, get you before the feet of Jesus, talk to him for you, set you down there, and I can promise you, the first thing he's going to say is this, I forgive you. Don't run off. I forgive you. Our healing sometimes can't come until our heart issues are worked out. Are you waiting on something from God? Are you waiting on him to do something in your life, to fix something in your life? He might be working on a heart issue first. You've got to give him that rain to do that. Sometimes what happens is you keep coming, and then eventually people show up, and they build you a bridge, and they get you from one place to the other, and they get you right at the feet of Jesus, right where you need to be. It's interesting that the paralytic had no faith, none, and maybe that's where you are. I have no faith. That's okay. He doesn't necessarily need your faith. Any currency will do. He will use somebody else's if he has to. Did you bring him? Did you carry him in? Are you carrying them in? These are our responses to Jesus Christ. I got somebody I need you to meet. All right? Come here, Slick. How are you? This guy has got an excellent handshake, don't you? This is Michael Dixon, and he come up and talked to me two weeks ago? Yeah. Two weeks ago. He said, hey, I need to get baptized. I said, you do? He says, yeah. And I said, well, let's get together and talk about it. So I come over to the house, and we sit down and we talked about it. And I brought some material. Did you read it? Did you go through it? You got it all done? I'm going to check it. If you didn't get your homework done, you're going to get grounded. And so he did his homework. And so today he comes to be baptized. So if you don't mind us holding you up another couple minutes, we're going to get changed out, and he's going to get into baptistry. It was kind of hot this morning. I turned the heater on. It was a little hot. We might have to be fast. All right? I want to take your confession of faith. Will you repeat after me? I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. Amen. All right. You go that way. You got your gear on? You need to go get it? All right. Got it? You go that way and change. I'll go this way. All right? Go ahead.